Welcome back to the Lars Resort, which is still a podcast with myself, Lars Sewardson, brought to you by Betson. It is that time of the year again. It is the Christmas fixture pileup. It is upon us. Uh, so I figured we'd do a, just kind of a look ahead, uh, go through the teams, have a look at the game they've got over Christmas, look at where they are, how we feel about how they're doing, all this sort of stuff. And to help me do that, I have yet again turned to the great Peter Welpton, who will help us through uh, all of that. Uh, and since it ended up being a very long chat, I shall waste no more of our time and head straight into it. Yes. Yeah, welcome back to the resort yet again. What I think I'm now comfortable calling a fan favorite. I think I've had many DMs oh, wow. from people saying how happy they are that you are with us occasionally at the resort, Peter. Um, and uh, it, it, it makes it's a big. It really matters a lot to me that you take the time to come hang out with me. It makes recording this so much more fun. Uh, thank you so much for coming on again, Peter. Merry Christmas, Lars. Merry, Merry Christmas. Is it, a, the, is it is it a white is it going to be a white Christmas where you are? I don't think so. It's, it's, I mean, we've got the classic sort of southern Norwegian sort of five degrees Celsius and rain thing going on today. <laughs> As a Texan, Love that, that is for us. very disappointing to hear. I I was assuming uh, like piles of snow and snowmen and snowball fights twenty four seven. No. I don't love it. I don't. I mean, the weather here is dispiriting. I was out for my sort of walk. I'm trying, as you know, I'm, I'm staying a little bit more active than uh, than I was when I was. Boy, there. are you? Yeah, I am, and uh, and yeah, which involved vigor, a lot of vigorous walking, which was deeply unpleasant today in this weather. I have to say, no fun at all. But mm. it is nice to be back uh, with the family. Uh, that that is something I would say. Uh, I haven't spent Christmas in Norway for quite some time. How are you spending Christmas, sir? Uh, I'm just going to spend it with my family here in the Dallas area where it'll probably be 70 degrees Fahrenheit and no snow. I'm sorry to report. But on the flip side, when we do start getting snow in Dallas for Christmas, I think we have bigger problems than, uh, well, you know. Well, <laughs> you may be surprised to learn snow in Dallas on Christmas has actually happened. We've ac- I believe in my lifetime I have experienced at least once, if not twice, huh. a quasi, not I mean, not by Norwegian <laughs> standards, but we have had snow on uh, Christmas Day at least once. Uh, huh. In my lifetime, believe it or not, we get Very snow here in Dallas occasionally. We more are more often plagued with ice than snow, unfortunately. Huh. All right. Good to know. Good to know. Yes. Um. We thought. Well, we thought. I thought. We thought made it seem like this was some kind of democratic process instead of me just <laughs> your going, imaginary oh, you and your imaginary friend. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Me and my imaginary friend. My, all the all all the multi Larses, the Larses of the multiverse. They're all in my head. Um, thought what would be fun today was to just kind of go through the Christmas schedule, by which I mean the the next two match days, to put it in sort of annoying FPL terms. You know, all the games between now and the twenty eighth. Okay. Most of the teams have two games ahead of them, and I've made a list. This is very unusual for me when I ask have you. Have you checked it actually... twice? No, I have not done oh, that. Okay. <laughs> Sorry. I had uh, to. That is that's good Christmas content. You're on it today, Peter. You're you're hyped, <laughs> I can tell. Um probably should have checked it twice, because knowing me an admin of any kind, I've probably gotten something wrong. But uh, I've just I've just thought we'd rattle through this. Let we can start at the top, we can start with Arsenal, just work our way at the... or should we start at the bottom actually? You don't want to talk about the Super League now, do you? Uh 
No. You know what? Because I just think it won't happen still. Like, that's the short version. I feel like that's something we should do a proper deep dive in, possibly with someone who knows more about it than you or I do. But my main takeaway from the verdict today is that a lot of people are jumping to some pretty quick conclusions. <clears throat> but at the end of the day, the German clubs are not going to join. The English clubs are not going to join. So I don't see it happening. Uh, certainly not in the sort of format that they're hoping for. And uh, I'm, I'm kind of keen to see how the dust settles, particularly everyone's briefing various versions of what this actually means. Uh, maybe this is something we try to get a guest on for. With all due respect to you, Peter. No, that's uh, fine. I, think, <laughs> I don't know any more than you do. I probably know infinitely no. less. I just... And, I, and- And I currently feel like I don't know enough, and it's too soon. It just happened earlier today. It was really funny. It came out. There's this really long judgment with an incredible amount of words. And then five minutes after it drops, you have people going, like, this means this, and it means that. And it's like, how do you know? You have no idea what this means. Well, I woke up to it, so because I'm seven hours behind you. So I popped on. I I woke up, and suddenly I see Twitter and social media filled with all this. And I'm like, oh, no, what happened? So... Yeah, so we're going to hang back with that a little bit. I do apologize to anyone who listened to to Pod who was expecting me to go deep on that, but let's maybe do that later. No, just an old-fashioned, let's look ahead at the Christmas, at the holidays. What do we think is going to happen? I don't know if you pick. Should we begin at the bottom or should we begin at the top here? Uh, This is the Lars Resort, not the Peter Resort, so you tell me. I thought I'd give you some agency here. You're very helpful. You always help out. You're practically part of the furniture of the resort at this point. Uh, let's be, let's give the people at the bottom some do and, yeah. and put them first so they I don't like feel that. left out and at the end of the podcast. And that also is a good programming idea because now it'll force people who want to hear your hot, uh, arsenal opinions yes. to go through the entire episode. This is why we have an actual radio professional on board. I'm, I'm pointing to my temple because I'm, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, I'm cunning yeah. like that. Galaxy Brain Peter doing the work. Um, well, that, that does mean we're starting with poor old Sheffield United. Oh. Who have Aston Villa away and Luton at home. So they kind of come into this. I mean, to say they've been rejuvenated is, is taking it slightly too far. But they've, they did win a game against Brentford. Uh, and they've got Chris Wilder back in charge. I, I kind of feel with the Blades that Wilder being back in there, I can imagine him making them slightly harder to beat. I, I reckon they probably won't get quite so thumped quite so often, but I still don't see how there's any possibility of this squad staying up in any way, shape, or form. It, it, I don't think it's unfair to say that when we talk about teams likely to get relegated, we always end up going, well, you know, it just feels like there's three crappier teams in the table than mm. this team, and I, I don't think there are many people that wouldn't include Sheffield in that list, if you know yeah. what I mean. Or to put a spin on it, when we're talking about Sheffield, there very much does not feel like there are three worst teams exactly. in this division. Exactly. I think the, the numbers bear this out. I mean, they have the same number of points as Burnley, but I'm very, very confident that Burnley will take more points between now and the end of the season than Sheffield United will. Uh, just based on watching them with with my eyes and also looking at uh, looking at numbers, their sort of XG difference is by far the worst in the league, and I just don't. I can see them scratching out a draw here and there. Maybe that Luton game could be a gnarly one. I mean, yeah, that'll be, be one for one. the that'll be one for the purists. I think in terms of style points, <laughs> yeah. these are some pretty yeah. But I, I don't see how they do anything against Aston Villa. I don't see how. 
they yeah I, I i'm keen to not spend a lot of time on sheffield united with apologize with apologies to the blades i just think they did very well to get promoted with that squad uh but there's no way they're staying here yeah are you a points uh are you a form table guy are you into looking at form tables by chance the where i where i get slightly sort of anxious about the form table is that it's so skewed by your fixture list, right? I always feel Fair. like you look at you look at who you're playing against, and you can have a, you can have teams who are not that great, but just have a run of good fixtures, and suddenly they shoot up the form table. But it's it's worth having a look at. Did you have anything specific in well, mind? Well, Sheffield, believe it or not, where do you think they fall in the form table of the last six games? The last six games. Well, they won a game, so probably not rock bottom. Um, They're seventeenth. Brentford, Palace, yeah. and Forest are actually beneath them in the form table. For whatever that means. They're not yeah. the worst, at least in form. So, yeah, because they had that draw for the last six games. That'll encompass a draw against Brighton and a win against Brentford. But you know, I don't, I don't see it. Let's let's move on and spend okay. less time on on Sheffield uh, United. Burnley would be next, then, sir. Yeah, and that that I think like is a more interesting discussion. Where how, how what's your feeling for Burnley at the moment? I mean, for the winter schedule, they've got Fulham away and Liverpool at home. Well, (laughs) my feeling about Burnley is is they're one of those three teams that everybody talks about sitting at the bottom of the table all the time. Mm -hmm. And they seem, every time I watch uh, Burnley, I marvel at the self inflicted harm. Yeah. (laughs) The most self harming club I have seen in a long time. 100%. It's just all the time, isn't it? Uh, and and I guess the way I, why I differentiate between them and Sheffield United is that when I watch Sheffield United, I just what are you guys good at? Like, what do you bring to the table? I don't understand. Whereas with Burnley, you can see that they're doing some good things. It's just that they also, you know, they they, they shoot themselves in the foot worse than me trying to get down a flight of stairs. I mean, it's 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 really wow. just not 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 good. No, it is not. Uh, although now I have the image of you laying at the bottom of the stairs with your foot <laughs> facing the wrong direction. Thank you for that, Lars. And when, when we and I'm sure we'll talk more about this, but actually when you look at this, Fulham away and Liverpool at home, it just doesn't look good in either direction because both of those teams are better and at least in Fulham's case and playing better, or, you know, in better form. So um, and Liverpool, it, I, you know, it's just not going to be a good Christmas for Burnley, I would doubt. I don't think so either. I, I think they could potentially, in time, grab some points here and there. Because I, 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 just by the, but 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 they are capable of playing some ball. But I, they have the Norwich problem of of trying to be too open and attacking. I think in a division where they maybe don't have the players for it. And I just don't think a surprisingly competitive Fulham and Liverpool are the teams where they're going to get any of these points. No, probably not. Which does bring us to Luton. Let's go Hatters. Just, I mean, uh, yeah, Newcastle at home and Sheffield United away. I mean, so it's not a bad time to be playing Newcastle. I have to confess, I think Newcastle will win this. I'm, I've slapped it onto the weekly sort of boosted treble that we're doing for bets on. But oh, did you? You know, yeah. I, I, I just think. I, so I'm trying to find a way of phrasing this without sounding crass, because obviously the most important thing uh, from the Tom Lockyer incident is that he's alive, that he's stable, that he's getting the medical attention he needs, and and football is completely you know 
unimportant compared to that. But since we are discussing football, I think he is a huge miss for this defense. You know, he is very much the heart and soul of that back line. Luton have been doing a good job staying competitive in games, but they're still not doing enough to consistently hurt opponents. Having said that, they scored three goals against Arsenal. That's not half bad. I just, I've gotten so frustrated with them because you know I have a soft spot for Luton. I've watched them quite a lot. And they're so often good at keeping it tight, but just not having quite enough to to get there. And I think even a slightly depleted Newcastle team should be able to find a way, is what I'm thinking. But you sounded surprised. You don't fully agree. Well, I you know, just I guess it depends on who Eddie Howe's got available for him mm-hmm. on the road at Luton, which is an interesting atmosphere. Um, Luton has something to play for because they got to play, you know, uh, yeah. with the situation and. Man, if Luton could come out of this two games with four points, that would really set them up for a nice, uh, you, you know. You, Lars's, well, favor- sure. Lars's favorite saying is, "You don't have to. Uh, what's the? You don't have to. You just have to be the fastest camper. Is that yeah, what it yeah, is? Yeah, yeah. You don't have to un- outrun the bear. You have to outrun the other campers. Right. And this feels like a perfect example of that. If they can just get four point four points out of this, would be a fantastic result for Luton. And I just, with the way Newcastle is at this particular moment in time, and the fact that it's Sheffield, although it's they're away uh, at Sheffield. Um, man, that would be a fantastic pair of results for the Hatters. Is there a more Texan version of that saying? Like, what sort of animals do you worry about over there? Uh, not bears. Uh, rattlesnake. No. Well, yeah, rattlesnakes. Rat- well, you don't really yeah. outrun the rattlesnake, no, do you? I you mean, don't. it doesn't come um, after you. <laughs> if it does, that'd be terrifying. Uh, I. Yeah, that's a really good question, Lars. Um, no cougars roaming free? No, there's some, there's some, uh, uh, yeah, uh, there's Let's see. What would there be? Good lord, you've caught me in a weird one. Okay, fine. Yeah, yeah. let me think you, you about don't that. Spend I'll a lot get of back time with pondering you. the animal life of your uh, <laughs> of your own. <laughs> We're all packing heat, Lars. We just have to yeah, outrun each true. other. <laughs> you, don't, you don't have to outrun the oh, yeah. I bullets. Might work. That's what you have to outrun, Lars. Are the bullets? <laughs> <laughs> and then you have to outrun all the other people shooting at you for no reason. Right, which is, exactly. of course, what us Europeans. <laughs> think happens in america a weird conversation turn yeah it uh, doesn't quite work does it but yeah no there is an opportunity here for luton i think i think you're right given that they're facing a a tired newcastle uh who who need to get their guys back but i don't think they're going to get a lot of them back no. let, let me just let's just i'm, I'm not going to do match by match preview because it'll be out of date too soon but just looking at it yeah, I mean, it's a, I guess it's a pretty big call for me to back Newcastle here, but like they're going to have Nick Pope, Jacob Murphy, Harvey Barnes, Joe Willop, Elliot Anderson, Fabian Scher, Javier Manquillo, Hucho Ellington, Matt Target, Ooh. and Sandro Tonali out, and then doubtful, according to who scored.com, are Kieran Trippier, Anthony Gordon, Alexander Isak, and Emil Kraft. So, <laughs> is Trippier doubtful just due to pride alone? Yeah, he's he's had to he's had to take a personal day or something. I mean, maybe he needs he needs. In in fairness, he could do with some self care. I think the poor yeah. guy is just having a bad run. Uh, one thing that really counts against Luton here, I think, is that they're they're missing marvelous Nakamba, who aside from having a spectacular name, is a you know very important component of their midfield. He's actually one of the most prolific tacklers in the entire Premier League. I mean, very few people tackle quite as often and with quite such enthusiasm as Marvelous Nakamba. And, and, and that is, of course, part of what, uh, what Luton do to make themselves uh, difficult uh, to play against. So I, I do think quality will out, because as much as Newcastle are missing a ton of players, 
you're still going to have like Guimaraes and Almiron and, and, and Wilson and they'll, they'll probably get. Yeah, we'll, we'll see. I am also noticing, since this is a very informal podcast where uh, we, we don't structure things at all, that we've kind of slipped into me almost being the presenter, uh, which is not our usual dynamic. Usually you're the one who sort oh. of leads the conversation and I have the big brain opinions and then you tell me why they're stupid. Would you like to that, go back to kinda, that format? No, no, no. Maybe uh, I'm wondering if the listeners are part of. I mean, since we can't get live feedback from you guys, it's hard to know. But this this feels different. It uh, doesn't feel like quite the way it should be. Uh, should we should we slip over into? I mean, you have the list in front of you, Peter. Yeah. Okay. Well, then uh, next on the list would be Forrest, who have yeah, Bournemouth seamless. at home and aforementioned Newcastle away. Mm. And and Forrest, of course, now led by Nuno. Yes. <laughs> I mean that's. Uh, <laughs> So let's have a word on this quickly. I mean, I because we know that their owner is a bit of a loose cannon, and because Steve Cooper had such a strong connection with the fans and had done such a good job getting them up, the first instinct is to be very sympathetic to Cooper and say, oh, no, it's very harsh that he's been fired. Should he have gotten more time? But you do also look at the results, and I think they have like one win in the last 13 or something. It, it, it's 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 pretty grim at the moment. Uh, I, I think it's something like five, six, six defeats in the last seven, the last eight. I mean, six defeats in the last eight seems oh, yeah. about right. Yeah, that's yeah. correct. Yeah. Yeah, and I, I think that kind of form will get you fired pretty pretty in most clubs because uh, Forest have they've spent a little bit of money and they've put together. I mean, this is not a the squad isn't totally hopeless. I think on paper, so you'd expect a little bit more. And I think. They should still feel pretty confident about staying up just due to the lack of quality behind them. But suddenly, if one of these teams we just talked about went on a run, then Forest are in a tricky place right now. And I guess bringing in a new voice makes sense. But for that voice to be new, no, man. I don't know. How do you feel about it? Well, I, I the decision from afar seems very confusing because my observation is I think Cooper's a really good coach. Although mm. I think the way that you just presented it in terms of the set of results uh, and where they're at in the table at this particular moment with a lot of other clubs would end in the same way. Mm. I think the owner being kind of a, a nut, at least on the surface, I, I, you know, there was an article, I think, in The Athletic or something that was talking about how there was all this kind of drama going on in the background that a lot of, I guess, the public isn't privy to. And and so maybe there's a lot of other things going on that we just don't know about that led to this. Now, the resulting manager is the interesting part of this to me, which is, are they in a better place with this manager versus Cooper? Is this guy, you know, is Nuno going to be a better person for this and get this guy and get this group of uh, players to play better and end up with a better former results. I, I just, I don't know. I, I, in, I can't give you an answer to that. No, that that's, that's fair enough. And Nuno is also like a three, five, two guy. He's also quite like prefer his historically coached for, for Wolves to be a quite a transitional team. I just think they need to get, um, they need to get Ty Waiwani fit. I mean, yes. I'm looking at this now. I, with Tai Waiwani this season, they've won three, drawn two, and lost three. Perfectly decent form. Without him, they've lost seven, drawn three, and won nil. Like, they've yet to win a game without him this season. So, I mean, he clearly means a lot to them. And I think that makes sense because he's got that speed and that power. So when they counter, he's, you know, I, I kind of like Ilanga, but it's not quite the same. And, of course, if you have to play counterattacking football with Chris Wood, that's not good. So, um, 
getting him healthy again would be a big thing for them. But uh, certainly for this program, I mean, I a, res, a, res, a resurgent Bournemouth is a very dangerous opponent, and a tired Newcastle away is still Newcastle at St James's. So yeah, I'm not super hopeful for for them having a having a fantastic Christmas. And it also feels like a really weird launching point for a new manager. Because you, you've almost set them up for failure because neither mm. one of these games uh, feel good on the surface for Forrest. I guess uh, my, you know, instead of trying to prattle and, and bumble about and trying to explain my opinion, I just don't understand how this sets them up for success by changing yeah. the manager at this point. I, it's not like they went out and got somebody who is demonstrably better uh, in my opinion, and I don't know how all this fits together, but you know, maybe there's something it, else I don't know. No, but it's also the point that you have very little time on the training ground this time of year, right? Yeah. So there's a there's a reason those November international breaks are usually when you change manager because it sets you up. The new guy gets a couple of weeks to get familiar with the place, and you the fixture list isn't too crazy yet, and it means you have things set up reasonably well or at least set up in some way going into the hectic holiday schedule where it's just game travel recuperation and almost no time for proper training whereas nuno's just come in now what's he going to change ahead of this period really yeah isn't this the a classic example of what frustrates the fans with an ownership which is are you guys actually thinking about what you're trying to do here because if you were going to make this change what is so different with Forrest today versus back in November at the international break like you're speaking of when you could have made this change and given you know all the time to kind of put something together and now you've kind of thrust him into the meat of it of the calendar and and it just it feels like really poor decision making from the ownership's position not just in not just in making a change in uh, in management but the timing of it just feels very weird and poorly yeah one thing i flag up is that we know nuno as a coach is very very close with like the super agent uh george mendez uh, be be interesting to see if one or two Portuguese gentlemen turn up at uh, Nottingham Forest in the January transfer window. If this is yeah. some sort of package situation, you you give a job to my boy Nuno, we'll fix you up with some Portuguese guys in January to help you stay up. Maybe that's what's happening there. Um, Everton up next. Yes, I did it again. I, I stole you. I just gave you the presenter's job, and then I took it back. What's this? This is terrible by me. It's okay. You're not hurting my feelings. Tottenham away, Man City home. Uh, we we get to put the Dacian uh, Everton experiment at full test here over yeah. the next two games. Going to fully roll the dice, as it were. <laughs> no, not happy with that. Oh, you just killed me. <laughs> Come on, <laughs> that's a perfectly fine joke. Okay, <laughs> I'll give you. I'll, that's a great Christmas gift from you to me. <laughs> I opened. I opened that joke and, and put a fake smile on. Oh, thank you, Lars. Like, that's that's incredibly that's a, funny. That's a pair of socks from Grandma right there. <laughs> Uh, yes, we get to really see how, uh, how resilient this Everton side is because just based on paper, this does not feel good, uh, for Everton, but man, if he can pull off any kind of result from either one of these games, just imagine the the mood and attitude because I got a question. Do you have a sense or do you know of the timing of the appeal of the points deduction and when if ever we'll hear a reduction in the points from 10 to like eight or six or anything like that. 
that I do not. I think that'll probably be later. It'll take a while. Um, uh, but, uh, I mean, that would give them a boost, I guess, if they get a few extra points that way. But as things stand... They don't need it. No, they're playing really well. I think they're, there's no... I absolutely not worried about them getting relegated at all. But the points deduction has put them too far away from European spots for that to probably be realistic. I mean, they'd been uh, they'd be on the same number of points as Brighton if they hadn't had the points taken off them. So I have a question for you: mm-hmm. If the points deduction penalty had not taken place, where, how different would Everton's season to this point be? Do you think? So I know a lot of people see the penalty as something that galvanized them and it's possible but i thought they were doing the things before that as well i thought they were kind of if you look at the results i mean i I don't remember the exact date that punishment came down but they started the season terribly with three straight defeats uh, and a draw to sheffield united which was very disappointing but they were performing reasonably well they were just not sticking the ball into the goal and then gradually the results started turning and if you look from like um, late september onwards they've been pretty much good like they had a oh, they lost to Luton that's was, obviously no fun but generally speaking they've been winning games and and playing well and, and looking like a Sean Dyche team to me uh so I I've been pretty high on Everton for weeks and and, and usually when I'm high on Everton things go wrong for them immediately so it can be a bad <laughs> sign for Everton fans but no I, I I just from from pretty early on in the seasons I I thought I saw the signs of this is this is turning into a proper Sean Dyche team uh, and and they are awkward to play against. They have wide guys who can get the ball into the box. They have either Calvert Lewin or Beto to do the sort of big man in the box. We've talked about it before. He's turned uh, Abdullah Dukure into the second coming of Harvey Barnes. Uh, Harvey Barnes, Ashley Barnes. Harvey Barnes, very different. Uh, but basically, he's he's done really good stuff with them. And I I think they're I. I think Spurs could have a difficult time in, in that game. I think a very compact and aggressive Everton team could could potentially uh, hurt Tottenham in this sort of very open way that they play. I mean, Tottenham have a couple of uh, uh, unfortunate absentees uh, still. I, I believe Bissouma is missing uh, for this one. I think uh, yeah, Bissouma is suspended, Udoki yeah. is suspended. They still got a ton of injuries. Like whether it's Heiberg or Skip, either one of those coming in for Bissouma, that's a, that's a big downgrade. I mean, it's, it, probably Ben Davies going to left back, maybe like Real playing out of position, something like that. I, I think I would not be surprised at all if Everton got a res, re, result here. I'm actually toying with some kind of Everton result being one of the bets for the betting column. I haven't written it yet, but I'm I'm quite worried for Spurs in this one. I mean, we can talk about that later. But I I I really like I like the smell. Of what Sean Dyche is cooking. What does that smell like? Mm, it's it smells of of of, of stew? like uh, yeah, hearty northern stew, but also like the smell of um, uh, <laughs> sorry. <laughs> See, that's that you find funny, but roll the dice. No, I'll no, never just, figure you out, my I, friend. <laughs> No, and you just said you had a nice smell. I just suddenly started wondering what a uh, what that what that odor it would does. be for for you. So, it's the order of like a sweaty uh, lower league dressing room. Okay. I think is this because I was about to say hearty northern stew. I mean, Sean Dyche famously not northern. I mean, he he's one of those things that 
what 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 seems like it must be from the north of England, but actually isn't. He's from Kettering, I think, which is not not super sort of Northampton thereabouts. You know, he, he's not super northern at all. Well, uh, just to support your uh, thinking here, Lars, remember the aforementioned um, form table. Yeah, where do you think Everton sits in the last? Oh, they got to be game? real high. I mean, they're third. Yeah, no, I would imagine so. No, they've been winning games. They're good. and they're good. to further support your your contention if you break that out to the last 10 games where do you think everton sits oh right near the top i'd say fourth or something fourth yeah they've only lost twice in their last 10 games and if i remember the the timing correct wasn't the manchester united game the first game after the penalty that could be true. Yeah, that's that the only right. game. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's the only game they've lost. They are they yeah. lost that game, and then now they're on a four game winning streak. I, so. I remember this now. I had them to win in the betting column that weekend because I thought they'd be all fired up. And actually, looking at the numbers on FBRF now, they actually generated a higher XG than United did that day. Obviously, yes. single game XG you should be very cautious of looking at and read too much into. But um, yeah, no, they've been um, they've been ticking along beautifully, Everton. Full marks to them, and I think, yeah, Tottenham. Uh, but you don't feel that way about going uh, being home against City. You you just you know, chalk that up as a. But where are we? Let's save that for when we get to City. Okay. Because there is a City conversation to be had, but let's let's have it later and and scoot on up. To next, the next is team Palace. Line. I'm going to yeah. grab that back from you, Palace, mm. which is Brighton at home and Chelsea away. Yeah, El so Gatwicko, which yeah, El Gatwicko, which apparently we shouldn't call it. Oh, uh, I, I love that. Uh, I, I want El Gatwicko to become a thing, uh, but I've been told by people I shouldn't call it that. Uh, it's funny. Uh, do, do you know enough local uh, London geography to know why it's called El Gatwicko? Well, that's the connecting highway between the two, correct? No, well, no, that's the that's the other nickname. That's for the highway, but Gatwick is the London airport. That's oh, to the right. South Sorry. of the city. Yes. So the the London airport of Gatwick is south of the city. It's on the train line that goes down to down to Brighton. So if you're on the if you have a very early flight, uh, and you get up at nonsense a.m. in the morning, and you have an early flight out of Gatwick, and you take the train down, you have to be very careful so you don't fall asleep. Because if you do, you will end up in Brighton. And, so, and, and of course, uh, Crystal Palace, Crystal Palace being a Croydon, you know, from Croydon on the south of of, England, of mm-hmm. London, so that, that that's the proximity there. Um, and there is also a whole sort of story of why the aggro is more based on stuff that's happened competitively between the teams than than the geographic uh, proximity. Um, interesting in the sense that. Palace, for me, are in that sort of bracket of, should we start to worry about them a little bit? Yeah. I know they just they got, they got just caught that very unlikely draw at Man City. So it feels kind of harsh to immediately then be negative about them. But it's, uh, what is this, one win in the last 11 or something crazy like that? I mean, they, they haven't been winning games recently. Uh, Palace, absolutely, yes. One win in their last many games, and uh, people are throwing stuff at Roy... Boy, I got to tell you, I can't tell you how much I enjoyed that video clip of Roy turning and laughing at Pep after the penalty kick in the game yeah. the other day. That was hilarious. And the look on his face when he went over to shake hands with Pep at the end of that game was just, God, that was classic. That was so good, old man. I'm just, I don't give an F anymore. That was great. I absolutely love that. And I and I will say with Roy Hodgson, it's fun to see him be as emotional as he is on the sideline. You know, he's he's uh, 76 years of age. He just doesn't he ha- care. He, no, he has been speaking recently 
in a sort of fairly melancholy way about how he doesn't like the direction football has gone in with uh, with the, the refereeing stuff and all that. And, and, and there's been a sense that the season is kind of unraveling and going wrong. And I think I saw one article kind of suggesting that maybe this was a mistake for him to stay on. Like he doesn't seem to be enjoying himself. The team isn't playing that well. And then after that sort of slightly dicey period you get that incredible result at city and you see him so happy on the sideline you think no this is why you know just when he thought he was out the the football uh, sucks him back in yes well i do think this is uh post up is an interesting game because palace obviously needs a result brighton themselves have not uh, you know have been struggling uh, yeah. based at least in comparison to how they've been performing over the last couple of years um, and plus, it's the Derby. That's one of the interesting things as an American is learning about some of these um, um, rivalries yeah. that are not like necessarily within a city, like a typical Derby. Like learning about the Palace Brighton history is fascinating to somebody like and, me. And, so. and this is terrible podcasting because there is a very there are some specific and odd reasons for why there's aggro between these two teams. But I don't remember the details off the top of my head. But the good news is. Someone will be writing articles about it ahead of this game that you will see on the internet. I think so somebody kicked somebody real hard once, and that started a war. Yeah, and there was some off-the-pitch stuff as well. Now, big thing for Palace here is that, as I understand it, they're expecting Eberreza to be available again. which That's makes a big such a, plus. Such a difference to them. Ulisa has been doing some bits for them creatively, but Eze is really the heartbeat of that team in a sort of creative sense in terms of you know, making things happen going forward. I will and, say, as an American, I do I do watch Palace games with uh, fingers over eyes because you're playing American Chris Richards as a holding mid, which is not yeah. his natural position uh, by any stretch of the imagination. And I don't know how much of the recent run of results you could relate uh, or you can uh, lie or uh, lie at the feet of Chris uh, in terms of having to play that position. But if you're putting Chris Richards as your holding mid, things are bad in terms of your roster situation. Well, yeah, the long-term injury to Sheikh Dukore and then Lerma picking up an, uh, an injury meant that they kind of, yeah, that's that's how it had to be, I guess. And, uh, yeah, um, I, I'm i intrigued by the game that comes after uh, Palace-Chelsea because as much as I am a little bit down on Palace at the moment, they are awkward in matchup for Chelsea because we've seen this all season that Chelsea don't love playing against low, low blocks. They're not mm-hmm. great at unpicking those things. They have some speedy dribblers up front who, when they have space to run into, they can do stuff. But unlocking teams that sit deep and compact Chelsea are not great at yet. So I do wonder if that is a sort of a, the, a real banana skin for Chelsea in a game where Palace might, uh, might get something. If you were going to put that on your betting sheet, how would you mm-hmm. place it? No, I'd check what the prices were and see if we can get like um, uh, maybe Palace plus a goal or something and see where we're at. But we'll have to wait for the see what the prices are. I just are. want more Roy laughing at other people. That's what I want. I mean, Roy turning up at Stamford Bridge and sort of <laughs> inflicting another blow against the sort of Todd Bowley traveling circus, I think would uh, would be entertaining for, for everyone. It would be great. All right, next up on the list is the Cherries, Bournemouth. They have Forest away and Fulham at home. Yeah, and I don't know if we've spoken about this properly since the Great Bournemouth Revival kicked off, but but I suppose this is one of those where I owe you, maybe not an apology, but a tip of the hat to you, sir. 
because you said all along that you have a lot of trust in the ownership of this club that this uh, uh well bill foley still, in particular bill, bill foley i have a total blind spot for his name i know that he's the uh, las vegas ice hockey guy and you've told me how he's very bright and i i can imagine him in my mind's eye i saw an interesting interview with him uh, earlier this autumn but the name just isn't sticking but, but bill foley yeah uh, that he will he will do what it takes, and I, I wonder would Bournemouth if some of it was the fixture list turning a little bit, like they had difficult early fixtures, but Boy, they've they. uh, they've 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 kind of just stuck at it and kept doing it, and Mr. Foley kept his cool, didn't fire Ariola when that seemed like a, a logical thing for for him to do, and yeah, five five games now without uh, without defeat, four four wins in the last five, it's uh, and playing well and playing the way that. Uh, that was advertised, you know, the way uh, uh, we, based on his reputation and everything is what we were hoping to see from uh, from Bournemouth under Areola. So exciting times. On well, the, the other coast. element to that that I've really enjoyed is Dominic Solanke's growth in this situation, because yeah. that's one of those guys who's clearly a really outstanding footballer mm-hmm. who was at big clubs and just couldn't find his place and ended up at Bournemouth and now is really starting to show his value. Uh, and and helping this team move up the table, and I and I just think that's a great story, and I think he's I think he's very underrated, but that's just yeah, he, he was sort of stuck in the um, what should we call it the Darren Huckerby zone or the sort of uh, <laughs> the Cameron Jerome vortex or something. The sort of there's always a type of striker in English football that will score an absolute bucket load of goals in the championship, but just not quite do it in the Premier League. There's a proud tradition of, of those guys. And I, I think he was there because, you know, he when he went to Bournemouth initially, you know, a big expensive signing for them, didn't work out, they got relegated. But then 15 goals his first season in the championship, 29 his second season in the championship. Jeez. And then they went up and he scored six in a full season in the Premier League and just couldn't quite get there. Uh, but... Um, but no, he's looking sharp now, and he he does have that mix of of good, you know, f- robust physical size, but with good speed as well. And if he, now that he's adding a bit of confidence in front of goal, I don't know if it's confidence, but he seems to be finishing better. Uh, yeah, you have a very very capable striker there. That that, that makes a big difference for them. Okay, so and and, and yeah, fixture list wise, I should say, they're playing Nottingham Forest away and Fulham at home. Eh. Yeah, you can see Bournemouth picking up more results there. I mean, I, again, I have a blind spot for Fulham. They seem to be good in ways I don't fully understand. But uh, I, yeah, certainly against Forest, you'd back uh, Bournemouth, Bournemouth to, to get something. Next up on the list is Lars' favorite club in the Premier League. <laughs> Skip them Wolves. entirely. Yeah, Chelsea at home, Brentford away. I just think what what could make Wolves even less interesting to me, and that would be if they did slightly better than expected this season and didn't get involved in the relegation battle. Somehow that makes them even less interesting. <laughs> um, You're gonna get hate. Yeah, that. Gary O'Neill doing it perfect. No, okay. So as, as someone who thought they'd be in big trouble, potentially even go down, I, I do have to tip my hat and say, yeah, I got that wrong. Gary O'Neill has has gotten them into a decent shape. Uh, they're not tremendously fun to watch they don't have a lot of interesting players but you know they, they, they are ticking along and, and staying afloat in this division and for their holiday fixture list I mean they're facing Chelsea at home and then Brentford away 
Chelsea at home, I feel again, it's an awkward matchup for Chelsea. Chelsea don't love those teams who are comfortable defending deep and hitting people on the counter. If you close your eyes and imagine it, you can completely imagine a game in which Wolves kind of sit back and, 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 and sort of uh, Craig Dawson kind of keeps heading the ball away and kicking it into the stands. And then suddenly Matthias Cunha breaks free on the counter and sort of runs away from everyone and scores. I mean, that's not a hard thing to imagine. So again, could be, could be an awkward one for Chelsea. And Brentford... Brentford, I, I'm a big fan of Brentford and what they do, and like their underlying numbers are pretty good. But it's the no Ivan Tony and no Embuemo. The, the, the goals are harder to find now. So yeah, could 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 be a good Christmas for for Wolves as much as I don't enjoy them. Which does take us. Uh, let's see. Yeah, Brentford is next in the list. The Wolves game yeah. we just mentioned, and that's the only game they have during. How does yeah. I always get confused how this happens? Because City are off in the Club World Cup, oh, the very very yes. important and significant Club World Cup. So they were meant to play City uh, on this this match day coming up now, but that one has been postponed. So they get a little that's bit of break. Right. Yeah. Get to get to have a nice break out of Christmas, which and probably... they could probably use that too. Yeah, no, it's a funny one with Brentford. Yeah, because they're twelfth and their results haven't been great recently. But if you look at again, their XG is is very across the season is very respectable. Um, going to the the wonderful FB Ref website, who get their numbers from Opta, I believe, and their sort of X, uh, XG uh, thing. Uh, if you look, if you rank the the teams according to XG difference per ninety, sort of their expected goals goal difference, um, Brentford are like very close to Aston Villa which sounds insane <laughs> but but they are they're uh, one two three four five six seventh so uh top uh, table and and Villa are actually just six there the, the xg model doesn't love Villa uh, but uh, yeah they're ahead of Tottenham uh Brentford <laughs> and ahead of Brighton uh, certainly ahead of Man United and West Ham so in terms of the underlying numbers suggest that Brentford have actually done okay but I do think um losing that firepower in both Mbwemo and Tony for not having them around. It, it it does become difficult to compensate after a while. Well, they've lost three in a row, and I can't even think the last time Brentford had lost three in a row. But, question, did you happen to watch any of the highlights or any of the, the, the loss to Aston Villa last Sunday? Yeah, all the aggro was really funny. I enjoyed well, that. Neil, Neil Mopai really just Mopaiing it up in a big oh. way. <laughs> 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 Those two guys uh, battling each other out in, mm-hmm. in pantomime is the best thing ever. Like you couldn't, th- I can't think of two people I'd rather do shithousery against each other than Neil Mopa and Emmy Fernandez. That's fantastic. But I was more, I was shocked by the level of anger displayed by Thomas Frank. Like I've never seen him so upset before. No, he's a feisty guy. Is he? Uh, yeah. Well, he can be. He always, I've never seen him like that. Maybe I've just missed it. He always just seems like the cool-headed nightclub owner kind of guy <laughs> that nothing really bothers him because he's seen it all over his lifetime. Uh, so Brentford just has the one game, which now takes us to uh, Lars's blind spot, Fulham. Yeah. It self-admitted I mean, blind spot, Fulham. Yeah, I just it, I, it, since the last time when I said I haven't watched them enough, I don't quite understand why they're getting the results they're getting. I still haven't been able to see them because there's always kind of something else going on when Fulham are playing. They have Burnley at home, Bournemouth away for their two games. Yeah. And I mean, based on results in recent weeks, you have to say uh, I, I I would back them against uh, against Burnley. 
and, and I don't think I need to have watched a lot of Fulham to back them at home against Burnley. It's just I, I trust Burnley to shoot themselves in the foot at some point. Um, it's a bit of a shame that Raul Jimenez is uh, suspended for this one. That That's a blow for, for Fulham. But I think one of the things that certainly has been impressive with them is that they lost Mitrovic. But it's not like one guy has stepped up and like, I'm the Mitrovic now. You know, they, they're getting goals from all over the place. William has some goals. Iwobi has got a few goals. Dekorova Reed turns up with some goals. And what I have picked up on just from watching highlights is that they seem to be quite good at getting people forward. You know, that's often when you see a, full, a Fulham goal or a chance, you'll often note that they get quite a few people into the box. Like they, they, they get runners from midfield uh, forward, uh, which I think is, uh, is, is an interesting thing. And um, yeah, still, 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 I'm thinking about maybe trying to get a guest on to try to explain Fulham to me, since I've kind of underserved the dare listeners uh, on 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 the Fulham score. But I would certainly back them to get something against Burnley. Well, my observation, and obviously I spend a little bit more time watching them because there's a couple of Americans on the team, Mm, so my interest in that is that Silva has them doing that thing that we talk about pretty often about better than the sum of their parts. They just he's got them playing as a team, Mm. which I think becomes dangerous when you're a, a better than you know, you're kind of a mid-table quality side versus one of these teams that gets promoted and just does it really well like we've seen uh in the last few years and that's just my basic observation nope. is he's just nope, got them sure. playing very well as a team and they all kind of support and play for each other and i that's uh that's enjoyable so it, it could also just be a thing or, or it could it, it certainly adds to it that they have a, a, a great, great defensive midfielder in Juan Palinia. I mean, and that's one of those yeah. things, one of those sort of cheat codes in football. Any team, any team, if you stick a really brilliant defensive midfielder into it, they will just be better and get more results. And you might not always notice what he is doing, but it, it just makes a huge difference to, to have a guy like that in there. And hopefully they can hold on to him in, in January. Uh, next up on the list is one of the two battling for the Premier League uh, crisis pillow. It would be Chelsea, yeah. although I think they feel like they could let it go a little bit after the last uh, couple of days of results. Yeah, I mean, they suddenly have... I mean, beating Sheffield United doesn't count for much, but it, suddenly they have... Uh, they're in the in the semifinals of, uh, the, of the Carabao Cup, as it's uh, sponsored as, um, where they play Middlesbrough, and you would expect them to get past that one. So a very likely run to the final there uh, for, for Chelsea, which, um, yeah, gives them an, an, a chance to sort of rescue something from from this season. You know, I, throughout the season, I've said the same thing about Chelsea, which has always been, the players are so good, this will eventually be fine. But you wonder, it's such a test, I think, of Pochettino's man management abilities to keep people believing, to keep them together in the face of these not very good results because uh, they haven't been very good. And and it's, it's not an original observation. I've said it many times before. They have a lot of very good young players, but they lack, and we all know this, they lack a clinical striker up front. Like Jackson misses too many chances. And I'm not wild about, uh, I'm not wild about Robert Sanchez in goal, though, I mean, he's not... Um, Bob? Yeah, Bob Sanchez, uh, not 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 even available now. So they have uh, they have uh, they have Petrovic, who you should know from MLS, of course. Yeah, of course, yeah, and he did well in the penalty shootout the other day. Yeah, certainly, uh, certainly did. Now, it's possible that like Nkunku comes back and starts scoring goals, and suddenly everything works. That that might be a solution for them if he comes in and suddenly starts scoring goals, because I do feel like it's 
it's the putting of the ball into the net that is the big thing that has yes. been missing yes. has been missing for Chelsea because again doing the thing that I talked about in ranking the teams according to their xG difference you know they'd be fifth which is still probably a little bit lower than they want to be but certainly better than 10th uh, they've actually again their xG goal difference is better than Aston Villa's <laughs> Really, <laughs> which seems which seems crazy, but it's just they they don't have someone as uh, reliable in front of goals as as Ollie Watkins have been, for instance. Well, I'm I am fascinated to watch the the Todd Bowley circus in the transfer window in January just to see what he tries. Oh my to god, do. they can't stop themselves off again, yeah, signing even it, more players. It'll be crazy for sure. Well, do you know what they? Uh, well, we can say that for a later pod, but like I honestly think the games this Christmas period, Wolves and Crystal Palace, both look like banana skins to me for for Chelsea. They're both games they should be winning on paper, but I'm not confident in them at all. Let me put it this way: as somebody who doesn't, I don't watch them regularly, but I do love to pick up and watch clips that are shared on social media. I so very rarely see highlight clips showing Chelsea doing something good, and what I see mm. regularly is the example of the goal they gave up early in the game against Newcastle where the two defenders essentially knock each other out as I yeah. guess it's Callum Wilson runs by or the classic one from the other day of Mudrick just skinning a couple of guys, getting himself in a great shooting position and then hitting a ball out for a throw in. Yeah. You know, and that's what I see more of of Chelsea and I can't get a grasp if that's just people, uh, you know. Uh, but that's also another one like, if they could get Mudrick to just be a little bit more efficient with his end product, and man, I feel then, so bad then, for that kid. Then he's going to be an incredible player, right? Because yes. he does so many things well as well. So there is just the, the untapped potential in this Chelsea squad. I think is huge, but it, it, it football is. I mean, the the thing about footballers is that they're human beings, and the psychology of it starts to matter. So Todd Bowley and all his 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 army of sort of sporting director types. They can sit there and look at the players and say, well, these are good players. It'll be fine eventually. But after struggling for a while, the, the psychology of that situation becomes very difficult. So well, again, such a huge test of Pochettino, I think. Yes, and that's why I think the real wild card in this isn't Pochettino, isn't the players. It's Todd Bowley. Like, how impatient mm. does he get? Um, and does he have the ability just to sit and let this thing work itself out? That's what I think is the most interesting part of that whole story. Is, yeah, is no, I, I think I, owner. no, I think that's true. But I also wonder if is it actually possible to sit and let itself work itself out? I mean, does it get to a point where what you're doing is theoretically good and should be fine if you keep doing it? But the sort of psychological impact of losing all these yeah. games and struggling sure. means you get a vibe that's just very difficult to to to, to alter. You know, it's there's such a they're in such a fascinating spot, Chelsea. Uh, at the moment, and yeah, two obvious banana skins uh, over the holiday season for me. Brighton is up next. They have uh, Palace away and Spurs at home. Yeah, and, and and Brighton, I mean, Brighton being 10th in the Premier League, the ninth actually in the Premier League, is obviously completely fine for Brighton. And they went through that pretty long period without winning a game in, the, in sort of earlier in the autumn, and then they sort of started getting a few more results again. Uh, and and I guess they're I guess they're fine. I mean they're wrestling with this sort of playing in the Europa League whilst having quite a thin squad, whilst having a ton of injuries. That's been a hard thing for them to maneuver. But I still think they're just what they're doing is essentially sound. I, I guess if you're a Brighton fan, 
you always you already probably feel that you're on borrowed time with the Zerbi a little bit. Like he's a guy who's going to be moving onwards and upwards, and you would hope that you would be able to have more tangible success while he's at the club. Um, but I mean, they're fine. being ninth in the Premier League is completely fine for for Brighton, and you would think that they would have a decent chance to to get something against the Palace, who are not in brilliant uh, shape, albeit with Eze coming back. Certainly think the sort of super high line of Brighton versus the snake hips of Eze and the sort of equally skillful, you know, they have two guys there in Eze and Elisa who can play themselves out of trouble. So maybe Palace can can hit them on the counter and do make some awkwardness happen. Uh, but then certainly playing Tottenham at home should also be a very interesting one. Tottenham who are always trying to play themselves out from the back because uh, that's just how we do it, mate. Uh, and... Uh, against the sort of ferociously aggressive press that Brighton uh, have uh, pressing from the front. Yeah, th- those, both of those should be pretty fascinating games, and I'd be very hesitant to call an outcome uh, right now, certainly. I think based on their performance uh, at the same time uh, in Europe, along with sustaining a top-of-the-table position, I think is completely fair and mm. uh, good for Brighton. Uh, I, we always knew the question was, how is this going to affect them having to play midweek games all the time? And it clearly has, but it hasn't dumped them to the bottom of the table. Uh, they're in a, a in a fine position. They're only a few points out from another European position for next season. So I, I think so far, so good. Yeah, a lot of that is due to the good start they had, though, because they've actually just... Uh, 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 There's going to be great content again, me counting things, but one, two, three, four, five, <laughs> six, seven, eight, nine, ten. Oh, there we go. Two wins in the last 11 in the yes, league. Yes, I know. Which is not amazing. No, but, but if uh, they can just you know, sustain, right? Like, that's the part, is they just, they've got to tread water while they're trying to do two things at once. Yeah, no, I, I completely agree. And I, I say I, I worry for them because Deserve is going to move on and it's going to be a shame that they maybe couldn't. But the other thing is Brighton have shown time and time again that when people move on they're very good at replacing them so i mean if the Zerbi moves on i'm sure they'll hire someone good uh, eventually as well um speaking of coaches who might move on well like, yeah a, so is that a bit, uh, is that Carabao, a bit harsh? Carabao cup result aside look don't look now but west ham is up to eighth in the premier league at least in the league table and they have manchester united at home and arsenal away yeah it's a deeply weird situation you're right west ham are eighth they're just one point behind Manchester United, just two points behind Newcastle. Yeah, and you're still sat with the feeling that they'd probably be better off with a different manager, <laughs> which is a very strange place for us to be with West Ham. Because if you sort of, if you were to rank teams according to like, which I always think is a baseline according to their financial capabilities, I think eighth is pretty close to where West Ham are, right, wage bill wise and and all this sure. sort of stuff. So that's pretty much on. That's pretty much par for them. I just can't shake the feeling that a team that has guys like Paqueta and Kudus in there should have a coach that actually wants to play a bit and not just kind of sit back and, and go hit people directly. And I don't know. It, it feels like that this should you should be able to do more interesting things. But you're right. They have won games recently in the league and that has seen them seen them rise up the table and they're in a they're in a good spot at the moment so maybe I should just stop talking I don't know well let me let me pose the question this way if David Moyes wasn't the manager who do you think the right person would be with this roster of players yeah it's a fair point it's a fair point like it's but they are they can attract a lot of people um yeah it's a London uh, yeah it's a London club it's a club that has a 
top half of the Premier League budget that has a lot of interesting good players. You know, on the spot, I don't have a name that immediately leaps out, but I think there are managers who sort of like playing some football that uh, that could could take charge of this group. Um, but they've kind of done. I wonder if they're scarred by when they sort of thought we were gonna we're gonna play more expensive football, and they hired uh, Mr. Pellegrini, and that was not good. So uh, maybe, maybe they're a bit worried about repeating that mistake. I was just think. I was really disappointed with them rotating with I say with them with him with David Moyes rotating for the Liverpool game in the League Cup. I just thought that was a totally sort of ass backwards priority because West Ham they're not getting relegated in a millionaires million years, but they're also not getting the Champions League spots here this season. I don't see that happening at all. Uh, so when you go away to Liverpool, you know Liverpool are going to rotate quite a lot because they've got Arsenal at the weekend. 90 minutes away from being in a cup semi-final potentially i know it's difficult at anfield but surely that is a game you prioritize surely that is the game where you play your main guys and just kind of go for it uh okay so you got a three-game run of liverpool united and arsenal one of those is a league cup game but you're also i mean there's a scenario lars where if they just get three points from these next two games based on how newcastle and and uh, manchester united result they could end up in sixth at the end of these two games yeah and being sixth in december is fun but it doesn't really i mean yeah that doesn't I, really I, help you I, I i think the league table at this point in the same isn't the thing I'm the no. most interested in, really. I still don't think. I mean, again, feel free to laugh at me at the end of the season. If West Ham sneak a Champions League spot, then of course, well, maybe maybe I, it's I just European very, spot. I will, uh, yeah, but a chance to get a Champions League, a, a chance to get to a final in a tournament where quite a lot of the good. I mean, if they had managed to dump out Liverpool, that would have left Chelsea as the only other like strong yeah, competitor fair left. Point. So they would have had a very, very, very real shot at winning a trophy, right? Yeah. Now, again, Liverpool don't lose at Anfield very often, but I cannot understand how David Moyes didn't see that as an opportunity to do something of real importance with uh, at this football club. And and being slight, having a couple of guys like Paqueta and Ward-Prowse being slightly more rested for United at the weekend seems like a terrible trade-off for, uh, for, for reducing the chance of that happening. Uh, that's just me. Uh, and uh, next up in the trio of Uniteds who are all stacked on top of each other in the table would be the Manchester variation of the United, yeah. who uh, in this next two games have uh, have to go to London Stadium to play West Ham, as we mentioned, and then a home game against Villa. Yeah. How and do you I, feel about that? I don't. I, I think this you is... You don't feel about I, it. You I, have I, no feelings. I have, I have no good feelings about this. No good feelings. I all bad no, feelings. Yeah, I just... This all feels very much like a giant uh, a pit, uh, a hole in the, in, the, in the road for Manchester United coming up over the course of these next two games. Um, just based on uh, form and who's doing what and missing players and... Uh, I don't know, man. I mean, they may get a draw against uh, West Ham, but then having to f- uh, play Villa at home, that even that to me, just oh, man, that just feels like a, a bad day at the office. It does. Can I... I mean, as far as positives go, this is clutching at straws, but they made it through that week without getting humiliated. Like, they, they yeah. only lost 1-0 to Bayern... They got a point at Anfield, which I certainly didn't see coming. So the squad has shown some resilience. I mean, I think they're not spiraling. 
They're not into like a doom spiral here, which is frankly where I thought they would be at this point. Yeah, but here's um, the, here's the problem though, Lars. What we're what we haven't talked about is the is getting the point at Anfield came largely because you didn't have Bruno Fernandez and you were in a in a situation where you were essentially a very defensive team. Mm-hmm. And when Bruno comes back into the team for these games, suddenly now your ability to play that same way <laughs> becomes a problem because of Bruno, for better yeah, or you worse. Think, yeah, because you're taking out one sort of more responsible midfielder and you're putting Bruno in there. But I mean... They also created very little at Anfield. I mean, surely Bruno is central to them actually creating the goals. Yeah, but a large part of what happens, and this is my opinion as a United fan, is part of uh, of its uh, Achilles heel is the fact that Bruno, for better or worse, the, the double-edged sword of Bruno Fernandes is, a lot of the style of his play is what the result of that are teams coming back at them and getting opportunities yeah. because of the his you know turnover rate and things like that. So... I, you know, in these two games, look, I'd rather have Bruno, Bruno Fernandez on the field than not on the field. But mm-hmm. I don't think what you're going to see is this very locked down, defensive minded United that we got in Anfield in oh, these no, two sure. games at all. Here's the thing, though, against West Ham. Uh, West Ham United do not press, basically, in, your, in, in their opposing half. They sit back. Yeah, they, 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 do the, they do the David Moyes thing. They sit quite deep. They invite you on. And then they kind of trust the center halves to figure out any crosses that come in uh, and they are completely happy to let the opposing team have quite a lot of possession have quite a lot of territory defensively this has not been working well this season i mean i'm looking at expected goals against the xg against is uh, the, f- the, f- the fourth worst in the league like only fulham luton and sheffield united have conceded a higher xg against than west ham um Interestingly, the, the fifth worst team is Man United. Uh, <laughs> but the point is, West Ham defense not a fan. Like I don't, I don't think that's a, that was not an isolated incident that uh, that they got spanked by by uh, by Liverpool. I don't trust their defense at all. So I think it should be possible for them to, to to do something going forward in this game, Man United. But then the trouble is, yeah, West Ham now have these players I keep talking about, like a front three of Paqueta, Bone, and Kudus. That's a, that's a nasty attack to play against. All those three guys can can flip the game against you in a, in a, in a heartbeat. It's interesting to, to keep an eye on how much Manu ends up playing in these games mm. because he may, ironically, end up being the solution that Ten Hag needs and somebody that just plays that position properly and consistently. Um, and whoever he pairs him with, maybe it's Amrabat since Casemiro is on his way back, but probably not back until after the first of the year. And can he get those two guys, whoever he pairs with Menu in, in, in those positions, can he get them to play that role, those roles in a disciplined manner so that when they're playing a West Ham on the counter and they, you know, Bruno turns the ball over with one of those hero opportunities, yeah. uh, can they keep their form and, and, you know, defend better than they have because they've been so wide open uh, in, in some of these games of late? Yeah, so you reckon it's Manu who's like the 
the staple in that midfield now. It's going to be him and, and McTominay probably. Well, I, I mean, as a fan, that's who I'd like to see because every time I see the kid out there, he he looks the most composed and and appears yeah. to be playing the position the most di- in the most disciplined way. But mm. I don't know how Ten Hag feels about that. I mean, you know, he he may feel like he needs to protect him a little bit more. So I don't. Yeah, know. I, I we'll see which which lineup it is. Um, the Villa game is an interesting one because obviously Villa. Um, are doing fabulously well in the table. Have gotten some amazing results. I've already mentioned that their XG is kind of huh, <laughs> suggests that they're running a little bit hot. But I mean, you can't really argue with a team that's put Arsenal and Man City away just now. Uh, and uh, interesting, their 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 capacity to play people offside constantly just makes me think this game is going to be Bruno playing Hollywood balls to to Highland who's offside constantly. <laughs> <laughs> Boy, talk about a kid that needs a goal, Rasmus. Oh, good lord. Yeah, it's. You know, I, I, I don't hate him as a player at all. I think it's entirely possible that he'll come good. He has a lot of the raw materials to be a great striker, but it is tough to put a guy who's clearly unfinished in that sense. He's clearly a young player who's finding his way in the game and he's a work in progress. Putting him up front and say, you're the guy who's going to score the goals for Manchester United now. Like that is, it's a tough, it's a tough ask. And you do wonder if United would do well to sign um, a slightly more experienced striker who's maybe not a 10 out of 10 solution, but a, a good viable alternative in, in January. Just looking at the two games as a fan of this particular club, I, I, I can't tell you what's going to happen. I can see them getting no points, and I can even see a weird scenario where they end up getting six points out of these two games. I don't think that's likely, but I have I, if you ask me uh, to put money on this, I have no idea where these two things are going to go. My gut no, feeling is not a... well, but <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, it's it's that kind of uh, down to earth realism that makes you such a such a huge fan amongst the large result uh, listeners, uh, Peter. Uh, okay. Uh, <laughs> uh, the last of the uh, United trio is Newcastle. We've talked about them a lot. They have yeah, uh, they have, yeah. Have to I go guess... to Kenilworth Road and then home against Brighton. Yeah, and I guess. The nature of the way we're doing this episode is that the further we get to the top, I feel like the more like we've kind of had a lot of these conversations already. Newcastle, they're just tired, man. Like they're they're missing too many guys. They have an entire eleven out, and the eleven they can field is pretty strong. But you can see these people are they need a rest, and they're not going to get it. So uh, we'll see uh, whether. Th- uh, do you think the big money uh, Saudis? Th- uh, do something in the transfer window or as of significance, like make big moves in this window to try to help bolster Eddie's situation. Yeah. So the difficult thing with having injury crises is that these guys are coming back. Yeah, you know. So if you if you make big signings to try to help out, you're gonna have a massive squad at the end of it, and you have to start leaving people out of. The, I mean, you're gonna have a registration issue. I think I, mean, I haven't looked at it too closely, but. I would imagine that could be a real thing. And what? and a lot of these, I mean, some of these guys are going to, like Harvey Barnes, uh, Fabian Scher, Joe Ellington, uh, Tonali when he eventually gets back. I mean, some of these guys are going to be, are going to be, Willock is close enough to a first teamer. Like these are guys who are expecting to be first team players and are good enough to, to be first team players who are going to come back. So maybe they'll strengthen, but like they have enough players. It's just, they're all broken. Yeah. I just wondered how long is Tonali's suspension? Oh God, it's ages. It's uh, so it's maybe next, they would. Would, would that be the one person maybe they look to replace? Yeah, it's possible that you you do something in that midfield. Yeah, yeah. Uh, of course. Uh, young Miley has been performing uh, 
above and beyond expectation, but it's a it's a big big ask for him to keep doing that, I suppose. And uh, yeah, man, just on paper, the the two games they've got feel like uh, good opportunities for Newcastle. But as you say, just based on their injury situation, uh, they both could be uh, that could be. It'll be one to watch for sure. Yeah, so so the Brighton one is interesting because usually what, what Newcastle do well when everyone's fit and firing and feeling good is they, they're very good transition team. They're so good at when they win the ball back and attack quickly with a lot of people in a way that can really like catch and hurt Brighton, I think. The more I'm talking about this, I am hyped for the Christmas schedule. There's so many games. We haven't even gotten... There really are. We have, we haven't even gotten to the juiciest end of the table yet. And there are so many games where I'm looking at how like, huh, that's a really interesting matchup. So yeah, I'm really excited about all these games uh, and, coming up now. And the other which part brings, of which brings us to Tottenham, by the way. Yes. But let me also throw this in. This is only two of the games. When you really begin to dig into the overall run of games that'll happen between now and the start of the year, it, it just gets even more insane when you start throwing in next weekend's games, but we'll do that some other time down the road. Spurs are next home against Everton and then away at Brighton. Yeah, and that's made me realize I must have made a mistake here. Yes. I mean, Newcastle. There's a philosophical question, dear listener. How did you will, I ed- will I edit this or will I leave it in? Newcastle are, of course, not playing Brighton on Boxing no. Day. They're playing Nottingham. Uh, I, I am, made a huge I'm mistake. I'm blindly going off what Lars sent me. Yeah, and this is, happens when I do admin. Uh, let, me, <laughs> let me see if... Hey, you, actually, go, you know you, what? No, let's keep it in. Uh, okay. The listeners, uh, they know me. I'm a flawed individual. Uh, <laughs> You've been traveling a lot lately. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You've been yeah, having yeah, some yeah. fun with your friends lately. Hey, sh- 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 hold oh, on. No, okay. None of that. What? What's? What's? Yeah, let's not go there. But um, <laughs> I love One being day, your Peter. friend, Lars. <laughs> But um, yeah, um, definitely. Yeah, they're definitely not playing Brighton. They're playing Nottingham Forest, which is uh, more of a counter-attacking team and a team who's not very good at it. So I, I, I kind of, yeah, I kind of rate Newcastle's chances in that game much more highly. It's Tottenham who are playing Brighton on Boxing Day. Yes. which will also be tremendously interesting. You could, uh, you can go ahead and chalk up some fault on my own because I should have picked that out when I was looking. I've been staring at these two things for the last hour, <laughs> and I didn't pick up on it until I read it out loud. So. I'm so just I made, as much to blame. I, when, yeah, when I made this list, I decided that Spurs and Newcastle were playing Brighton on the same day. That's yeah, the okay. Even by Premier League scheduling standards, that would have been wild. Klopp would have loved that. Uh, all right, so Spurs, Everton, Brighton. Um, is there a club in the Premier League that can't make some sort of claim of way too many injuries? Yeah, it seems to be a trend. It seems to be, and there's definitely... I do wonder if after this season we'll see uh, like the players' unions and stuff put out some studies about how like, we need to look at this fixture congestion thing because, of course, the ga- what's happened with the game recently is that it's become much more about sprinting, uh, about, you know, I saw somewhere that players sprint like 30 or 34% more than they did 10 years ago. Like It's gotten more intense in that regard. And we're playing more games, it seems, uh, which seems like a pretty bad combination to me in terms of keeping people clear of injury. Um, a lot of injuries in the Premier League, and it's, it's, it's worrying. T- Tottenham, they've got some injuries. They've got some suspensions. I, I, they, they, they got their season back on track after it looked like they much kind of plunge into crisis. But I, I still worry a little bit. Maybe this is because I'm just a worrier. But um, 
I, yeah, I, I, I were. I mean, their underlying numbers are not good at all. I mean, they're back up to fifth, but on the XG, they're um, they're like tenth or something. Like they're they're, they're distinctly mid table uh, on the XG, suggesting that they've um, they've been a little bit, perhaps a little bit fortunate, a little bit efficient in front of goal, a little bit uh, lucky with oh, lucky. Well, you know, what? there's no rule against having efficient finishers and a good goalkeeper. That that is true. That's part of football, but it's something that isn't always very sustainable in the long term I, I and with the absentees they have going into this game i worry for them a loss against everton i said that earlier on the pod and that brighton game i mean that should be fun given the way brighton sure. want to play given the way tottenham want to play maybe they'll cancel each other out but i think that should be just a total goof fest and i absolutely cannot wait for it on on boxing day my observation it has been for many years in this insane christmas new year's holiday calendar crunch of so many games in such a short period of time is that the best most clubs try to do is just tread water and get yeah. you know it's not and for for only a few clubs and i think that's limited to what happens once we get north of spurs is it it's an opportunity to really uh distance yourself or push yourself up the table spurs feels like one of those clubs along with everybody else beneath them they just hope for the best of just treading their position treading water in their position uh from this and i and that's what i feel like with spurs over you know everton at home brighton away i it's my guess is they feel like if we could just keep our position out of this we'd be fine more than this is a situation where we can take advantage of our schedule and and improve our position does that make sense yeah no yeah no especially with the guys they have uh, missing uh, still i mean it's at some point it becomes boring to talk about it but it's such a big feature of where tottenham are at in their season they did manage to snap that sort of winless run um obviously great job getting a point at city a little bit lucky sure. but the, but showed resilient but they did have that period of five games without a win which they managed to snap by just really trouncing newcastle as we'll remember and then getting that win away to forest good good stuff but um i still feel a little bit antsy uh, about uh, about the future, especially with with Bissouma and Udogi missing for the Everton game. Everton game, sort of. I don't think it's under the radar any anymore that Everton are doing well. They're just they're they're an awkward team to play against, and uh, a big big test uh, for for Tottenham. That, but one thing I want to flag up with Tottenham, which is a positive, is is of course Richarlison, who is uh, you know three goals in this last two games, and. Richarlison is such a funny case because if you look at just just in sh- just in numbers in terms of goals, he has been a disastrous signing for Tottenham. Like obviously, just one goal in the league last season, uh, having spent a lot of money on him. But of course, the thing about Richarlison is that he's been stuck all of last season. Was kind of stuck behind Harry Kane or pushed out to the wide wing. And then he's had a lot of like injuries at bad times. He's had to have this operation on his pelvis now to sort of fix things. We've never really seen any kind of run and of an extended run in which Richarlison has played every week as a first choice for Tottenham in his preferred position up front that just kind of hasn't really happened yet and and I'm intrigued to see I think he fits the Ange system really well because he's really aggressive and when you want to press from the front I think he's a great guy to have leading that press and he, he's going to regain the ball for you in some dangerous areas I think he's a really good fit for the system and I, I'm really intrigued to see if we can get a good run from him now, hopefully without picking up any injuries and, and playing as that focal point up front at last for Tottenham. 
Which takes us to Manchester City, which because of the World Super Fun Cup that they're participating in, <laughs> they only have the one game against Everton. Uh, remember the aforementioned form table? Yeah. This is a fun moment. Where do you think mm-hmm. Man City sits in the form table over the last six games? Yeah, probably not that high, huh? 12th. 12th, yeah. When was the last brutal. time you ever thought you'd see Man City in the bottom half of any table? Of any form table, yeah. No, it's um, it's it's not really working for them at the moment, and I'm sure there's a bunch of different reasons for that. One win in their get... last six in the league, by the way. Yeah, I mean that's that's very. I mean, it's certainly for them to have a trip uh, away to the to the Gulf states and or to, to Saudi Arabia in this case, and uh, spending some time in some nicer weather and just playing uh, playing a game that's not too harsh on that's not too taxing. That's probably not a bad thing for them to. Uh, to be doing right now in terms of everyone just kind of chilling out and uh, and getting some good practice sessions in and, and soaking up some sun that's probably very nice for them I would imagine because um, because they need to kind of find themselves uh, I guess the good news is that uh, you know Kevin De Bruyne is uh, is close to being back you know he's he's training and he, he's going to be there soon enough and he has long you know, hair Yes, that that is slightly unsettling, but there he is. Um, we've had uh, Stones has not always been available this season either. That's been a disadvantage. You know, there's been a lot of little things wrong. I guess psychologically, like I'm sure there is a drop off just because of like um, you know winning winning the treble and then sort of uh, and then trying to go again. I mean, for some of these players, maybe some complacency is uh, is something that's set in. Um, I, I I still think, and I'm kind of hoping someone who's even cleverer than I am, uh, one of these tactics uh, nerds, I hope they, they write and explain to me what's happening with their press because they're just not pressing the way they've done under, under Guardiola. I don't, I don't think I've seen a Guardiola team look this passive in terms of how much they press to regain possession. Um, and and it, it seems to be an adjustment that they made possibly to accommodate Alling Holland a little bit uh, to, to sort of make that work. But uh, obviously with Holland still scoring goals, obviously he's Alling Holland, he's always going to score goals, but scoring goals at a slightly less prodigious rate than he did last season. You know, he's only got 14 and 15. I mean, yeah. this is scandalous, but he has been missing some chances. And um, currently it's just not quite clicking for City. I have every faith that when De Bruyne is back, and, and I'm sure they'll figure it out eventually. Pep always does. But yeah, that Everton game, that looks like it could be potentially very awkward. Uh, okay. <laughs> you don't believe it. You think they'll just smash them 5-0 and it'll be fine. Uh, no, but I... I uh, look, if they get to that game and they don't get a full three points out of even on the road at Goodison Park, then maybe we should uh, fire off the alarms of concern I just don't buy it yet because I know everybody's I, no. I look, everybody's going to get healthy the second half of the season. I know yeah. it's everybody wants to imagine a world where City doesn't win the league this year, but it just feels primed for them to just kind of find their form and get back into it in 2024. And I think I'm correct in saying, wasn't Arsenal even further ahead in the table at this point last year? Against City? Yeah, they were. They were. This is true. So it's only a five-point gap. I'm not too concerned about it. Uh, so, I... you, 
You're not. You mean you're not too concerned, or do you mean you don't dare to believe that there could be something other than a city rumping to the title? You don't. You don't want to. You, you've been hurt too many times before. I, well, let me put it this way. I I think it'll end up being an exciting end of the season, but I think the inevitable is still due to happen. How about that? Okay. No, that's fair. I, I think. I mean, that might be a subject for a different pod. Do sure. we have a title race? Is there a title race? I think there will be. Yeah. I, yeah. Yeah. I think Arsenal so the, will have a better go of it this time, and they won't uh, they won't fumble it like they did last year. Mm, but, uh, yeah, we'll, 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 I agree. We'll get to that. Yeah. Uh, next up would be Aston Villa, the darlings of the league at this point. Deservedly so. They've bested the top two teams. They sit themselves in third, and they have a pair of Christmas fixtures of Sheffield United at home and then going to Old Trafford against United. Yeah, so I, I feel like if I was if I was a Native American, my sort of Indian name would be Wet Blanket, because it's, it's so often, so often people are like hyped for something, and I'm like going, yeah, but you know, look at the numbers. I'm not sure. Snow covered uh, wet blanket, <laughs> something like this, because, and I'm kind of going because I've been saying for years. And I, I do want Villa to be good. And Villa clearly are getting a ton of results right now. That home run, that, well, that run of home form they're on is amazing. Um, and, and, I, and I like Unai Emery. So all of this is like, it's all coming up Severton. This is all stuff that I like. So I say this not out of like a desire for me to, for it to turn bad. I, I would love to see a genuinely to- tight, well, a genuinely tight title race. Uh, with Aston Villa as a component, just as a sense of like geographical appropriateness, like the second city, the second biggest city in the UK should have a very good football team in it. It just makes sense. And they and, do. Um, yeah, and they do right now. Yeah. But I also feel obligated to point out that their uh, sort of XG difference so far is almost the same as Brentford's. <laughs> Right, you are unlikely to stay third in the league uh, forever unless the sort of performances improve. They have been, uh, they've been very efficient. Uh, put it that way. I will counterbalance that with the fact that uh, going back to my love of the form table, not only did Aston Villa top the last six games, Villa's the top of the table in the last ten games. So this yeah, is no, an I'm extendedly sure good, solid run they've been on. They've only I'm, lost I, once in their last ten. I'm not arguing that the results haven't been good. The league table will tell us as much. I'm just saying I don't fully trust it in terms of it being uh, sustainable over a over a long period of time uh, because it's just it just doesn't usually work that way when yeah. the numbers look like this. Well, I will um, say this, and I when I said that people or clubs go into this fixture, Christmas fixture list, trying to tread water, and some see it as an opportunity. To me, Villa is the club that sees these two games as a big opportunity to strengthen their position. Yeah, no, that 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 I, I, I see, uh, that's a fair point. You know, if they can put six points on the board from these two games, which is not implausible at all, uh, then uh, then they'll be looking very strong. Yeah. Okay. Which takes us to Liverpool, who have the big game against Arsenal at home and then Burnley away. Man, that yeah, Arsenal game that. is going to be awesome. And since we moved very quickly on from Villa, with me oh, having sorry. most. No, no, no. I was just going to interject. Since we moved, I didn't have a lot more to say about him. Since we moved so quickly away from Villa, with me basically just having said, oh, the XG looks a bit iffy. If you have any Villa fans listening who are feeling annoyed that I'm not taking your team seriously, I very much am. And I do think actually there needs to be, in the same way there needs to be a Fulham episode, there probably needs to be just a specific Villa episode at this point. It's just, we've gone long, so let's crack on now. Okay. Uh, Christmas Eve, 
Christmas Eve Eve, at least uh, London or England time, uh, Saturday mm. afternoon for us here in the United States, Liverpool Arsenal is just going to be the best. Yeah. Yeah, such an interesting matchup. Uh, the two teams, who of course, look like they could uh, very plausibly compete uh, for the title this season with the City not being quite at their game, with me not fully trusting the Villa thing uh, quite yet. Um, and I, I think there's a real contrast uh, between these two teams. I think Arsenal are looking... Uh, to me, like a slightly more mature team than they were last season. I think they have sli- slightly more control over things. Uh, they're not as fun in attack, this is true, but I feel like they're controlling games more than they were uh, and, and, and and sort of being quite... quite um, I'm, I'm sort of digging around for the right phrase for this, Peter, but there's something, um, yeah, there's something very controlled about them uh, uh, and about how they don't let the opponents have quite as many chances as they did last season. It's called season. Declan Rice. Well, yeah, no, that helps a lot. We talked about it with Paulinho. Just inject a really good defensive midfielder, and your your whole stuff, all of it, will improve. Um, that is certainly true. If we just look at something really basic, like uh, shots uh, against, like how many shots they concede per game, that that's that's gone down a tick. They they averaged nine shots against per game last season. We're down to eight now. So that doesn't might not seem like a huge number, but that's that that's a difference that is not inconsiderable. And I, I just feel like they're um, they're they're also they've had to have some late winners and. Uh, Late winners are funny. Sometimes you kind of say, oh, late winners are a sign of future champions. Sometimes you say, well, is it a good sign that you need these late winners to win the games? But it it feels solid what they're doing, Arsenal. I'm interested to see what Liverpool shows up. Is it the team that struggled Mm. against Manchester United at Anfield? Or is it this kind of thing that we've seen by and large over the course of the season? Um, and I, that's what I'm most fascinated to see. I mean, I, I think if I was to put money on this, I think Arsenal wins this game. But uh, if Klopp is capable of really getting his team revved up for an opportunity, this would be it. Yeah, I, I would, though, say with the United game is that they, they did create just a bunch of chances in this game. They they, yes, to but be they, fair to them. Uh, no, they did. <clears throat> And, and, and for all the uh, claims of parking the bus, Liverpool should have won. They could have at least finished one of those, you know, 38,000 chances they created or shots they yeah. put out there. Yeah. Um, I, I just, I, you know, I, th- I think this will be a fantastic game. But if I'm just looking at it on the balance, Arsenal feels like the team that's in slightly better form than, the, uh, than their opponent if I had to yeah. put money on it. That's all I'm saying. So this, yeah, so the point that I spent slightly too long making about Arsenal, because I couldn't quite find the words, which is always a problem when you're trying to do a podcast, is whereas Arsenal seem like quite a controlled, not always super exciting to watch, but you know a very solid, uh, accomplished team right now, Liverpool are a bit more like they can do great stuff going forward. I don't fully trust them defensively, and there's a sort of their games are a little bit more wild, if that makes sense. Yeah, no, that's fair. They're not as controlled. No, yeah, no, no. That's very much where I'm, where my feeling from watching uh, these two games, and uh, and and I think it's very very diff- difficult to call this game because I can imagine Arsenal in theory. I mean, they have a. It, it's not completely impossible to imagine Arsenal's midfield kind of stifling Liverpool a little bit, but then again, Liverpool's forwards can be so ruthless that it just doesn't take an awful lot. Uh, for, for them to do something. So, um, brave man to call an outcome here. 
And then, of course, Liverpool have got Burnley afterwards, which I think, uh, with apologies to Vincent Company, I, I don't think I don't see how that goes in any other direction than a, than a Liverpool win. Uh, let's see. Yeah, I was trying to go back and look at recent uh, results to see if there's any kind of thing you could look at there, but um, uh, nothing in particular stands out to me. I just look forward to the game. It'll be a lot of fun for everybody, especially the neutrals. I don't know if you're. If you're a fan of either one of those clubs, you'll probably be very antsy about it, but it should be a good watch nonetheless. Yeah, which brings us to Arsenal. We've gotten through this. I mean, this has gone exactly the way I thought it did in the sense that it's gone on for much longer than I kind of wanted us to. It's entirely my fault for waffling on. No, I'm so counting on times. you going out and editing all my all of my prattling and... and uh... Uh, mm. And because about. my editing skills are so good at this point, you know what, Lars? The, I gotta tell the you, list, the listeners has no idea as a prof- whether I've done that or not. As a professional <laughs> editor, I have to say you're quite good at editing. You're, Thank I was, you. I've been surprised at the quality of your editing in, in yeah. past shows. So kudos I, to I, you. I, I, I taught myself. I'm very much self-taught. And well, I thought the bleeps were particularly good last oh, time we did this. Very proud of my some strong bleep work there. No, I just thought it's quite delicious. When you're listening to this, dear listener, you don't know if I've edited out loads of Peter <laughs> talking nonsense or not. Maybe never, there was like a whole whole extra hour of just Pete saying insane things. Uh, or uh, me. <laughs> uh, <laughs> how did this become about me? I don't know. You started it. Uh, Arsenal is the last club sitting at the top. We talked about the game against Liverpool, but then they have to follow that up with a home game against West Ham on the 28th. Yeah. Thank you for saying nice things about my editing, by the way. I think I just, I don't think I actually said thank you. I was very impolite. Um, that was very, very kind of you. So we just spoke about the Liverpool game. I mean, no, that could go anyway. I have no idea how that's going to go uh, outcome wise. But I am pretty confident in Arsenal's ability to, to put West Ham to bed. Not a not a huge, you know. Well, I mean, having said that, there's such a weird... T- it, it, West Ham have ended up becoming, like, so much the opposite of what you expect a David Moyes team to be. Even though I do... I still maintain, I think David Moyes is kind of holding them back a bit. But they are a team who cannot be relied on at the back. Like, they don't keep clean sheets. Their XG against is terrible. But they have individuals up front who can just kill you, you know? Muhammad Kudus can skip past a couple of players. Paqueta can, can play a brilliant through ball. You know, in an instant, they can do stuff to you that's that's bad. Uh, but um, I still would think Arsenal could, uh, like you said, this is a chance for Arsenal if they could if they could go to Anfield and at least not lose and at least stop Liverpool from picking up three points and then put put uh, put some goals past West Ham they 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 come out of this period feeling in a pretty good position no if I wanted to put some clever money down mm-hmm. I, I just have this weird feeling that Arsenal could expend a ton of energy and emotion getting a win at Liverpool and then West Ham pull in some sort of funky trick against them in the follow up game interesting that's, a, that's because interesting of all those show, things yeah. that you just talked about right mm. is the idea that you know they just they've spent so much energy trying to get the result at Anfield that they just fall a little bit flat and maybe not lose but give up points against West Ham yeah 
Yeah, that's possible. That's possible. Do you think Arteta is? Have they been training all week with like the "You'll never walk alone" on the speakers? Do you reckon? <laughs> I forgot about. Or was that, that like your one-time thing? You just realized, no, that's not. Well, that's not I, do I, that again. That was he real probably bad. no, because didn't they end up losing like six-one or something after that? Wasn't that a really embarrassing result after that? I, I forget, but I think yeah, the whole world knowing that that's an actual thing that you did is the real embarrassment here. I think I do like Arteta. He just seems to do goofy things and and stuff like. I like him in the sporting sense. Like you have to, it would be incredibly wrong-headed to not give him just a lot of respect for the job he's done at Arsenal. It's fabulous stuff from a management, you know, coaching perspective. But there are just moments where Arteta, you know, come on, like this thing recently when he got out of a ban because it was argued at the hearing that he doesn't know what the English word disgrace means. Yeah, that <laughs> was, was like, pretty what? ridiculous. You've lived here for years, and also the other thing is. That's clearly not true. Like every everyone, <laughs> like clearly he knows that. Yes, he knows the difference between disgrace yeah. and disgracia. Disgracia. <laughs> yeah, very obviously you know that, and it's you've got to have a bit of like personal pride. Do you really want to stand up in court and argue that now you can't actually punish me because I am in fact a total moron? Like that. that that's not just. It's a very you 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 overstepped the mark. You were emotional and you went a little bit too far. You got a fairly mild punishment. Just take the punishment. Man. Don't make yourself look like a fool, man. I One of the things that I love about all of this experience of watching the Premier League, or just the game in general, is that you, you find yourself forming opinions about managers, and then once they kind of get to a certain point where the spotlight gets on them a little bit more closely, you find out that they, too, even have personality flaws mm-hmm. that make them less likable. And that applies to pretty much all of them. Klopp and, you know, Klopp and Arteta and even Pep to a certain degree when they just oh, yeah. finally are done with it and they get a little bit of they get a little spicy and a little yeah. frustrated. They kind of reveal some personality flaws that make them more human, I guess. One hundred percent. But I will, again, stress before uh, the angry Arsenal fans turn out turn up outside my door with the pitchforks is that like in terms of the job he's doing it's obviously brilliant sure uh, i would say in that regard the head and the heart are very much holding hands oh yeah 100 percent uh for sure and that's why i love the reaction of roy when he just starts laughing at people that's why i just find that so funny to me i just i, I could watch that video clip over and over and over because it's just such it's just such greatness of an old man who just doesn't care anymore. I just think that's mm. great. All right. We did we it, got Lars. Through it. We, we got did. through it, my friend. And I'm gonna, um, I usually do a betting segment at this point, but I have not written the column yet. I will do it <laughs> the second I'm done editing this. Well, you probably <laughs> should because the games start later today. Yeah, there's uh, there's that. Well, I'm, no, I'm not going to include. Uh, so what I'll do is I'll use. I'll just go from the games on the 23rd. I think. Okay. Because there's no point. We got to get this stuff online before that. Because there's no point putting out betting tips for games that have already happened. So let's. Uh, yeah, I'm going to keep to the games on the 23rd, and we'll find. We'll do our usual thing of get it, of putting together a, a treble that bets on will sort of uh, boost the odds for a little bit to make it a little spicer, and then I'll, I'll pick out three singles that I like. We've been doing reasonably well. This this season a couple of weeks now they haven't gone quite to plan but uh, yeah it's it's, it's, not, it's not been a bad year so far for the betting column so more of the same for christmas hopefully well lars thank you for having me this is always fun i enjoy it and it's an honor to uh to do this so thank Listen, you very much my friend tremendous to have you on my friend and uh, merry christmas to yes. you and yours merry christmas they should, I, you I, I should have maybe been more festive references in this pod i kind of forgot about it i, I hope you get a, a wondrous christmas gift from somebody Mmm, yes. 
Yes, I hope so too. And also to you, my friend. As and as such, is it also to you something like this? Uh, <laughs> thanks for listening, everyone. <laughs> yes, let's end it there. It's been a long ass pod, guys. I'm pretty hungry. Bye. <laughs>